This is Rising Up with Sonali and I'm your host Sonali Kolhatkar. You can watch this program on Free Speech TV and listen to it on community and independent radio stations nationwide. Republican lawmakers in Texas are vowing to revive a harsh voter suppression bill after Democrats walked out in protest on Sunday, leaving them without a quorum. The walkout took place just days after the GOP-dominated state Senate passed the hugely controversial SB7, which has been likened to Jim Crow 2.0. The 67-page bill includes such extreme anti-voting measures as banning drive-through voting and 24-hour voting, putting tough requirements for absentee voting, and requiring anyone driving more than two voters not related to them to the polls to sign a form explaining their reason. The bill also took aim specifically at older black voters by barring early voting before 1 p.m. on Sundays when churchgoers have traditionally organized get-out-the-vote efforts for years called souls to the polls. President Joe Biden called the bill, quote, an assault on democracy. Texas Governor Greg Abbott responded by threatening to withhold lawmakers' paychecks And his Republican colleagues in Texas are warning they will simply revive the bill in a special legislative session where they can rewrite the bill with even harsher anti-voter provisions. In addition to the governor, Republicans control both legislative chambers in Texas. My guest is Sarah Labowitz, policy director with the ACLU of Texas. Welcome to the program, Sarah. Thanks so much for having me. So I imagine that uh, the ACLU of Texas would have immediately uh, launched a lawsuit had this bill passed. Tell us what the provisions are. I I sort of briefly described them, but if you can give us a a better sense of the provisions that SB7 would have enacted had it passed that would have deeply suppressed voter turnout in future elections. Well, there's just no doubt that this was a voter suppression bill. And when we think about voter suppression, it's really in in two forms. On the one hand, you have administrative barriers to voting that especially target communities of color or disabled voters. And on the other hand, you have uh, intimidation, voter intimidation, poll worker intimidation. And SB7 had both. And so on the administrative side, you have making it more difficult to assist a voter who may be older or have a disability. Uh, as you said, limiting hours of voting, limiting drive-through voting, limiting 24-hour voting that were disproportionately used by Black and Latino voters in Harris County last session. So then on the intimidation side, you have empowering partisan poll watchers, allowing them free reign of the polling place to intimidate voters. Um, And you have you had 16 different criminal penalties added to the election code, which was really designed to intimidate anyone that was participating in any aspect of the process, whether that's a voter or someone helping a voter, but also a poll worker um, or an election official. So SB7 was voter suppression start to finish. Let's talk about some of the the provisions that were enacted last year. Specifically, you said Harris County. Harris County is home to Houston. It's a very liberal county. And of course, last year, voters were voting during a pandemic. And uh, to their credit, election officials um, made it uh, safer and easier to vote with this 24-hour voting, which of course enabled people, working people to come after hours. The drive-through voting in particular in Houston, I remember seeing photos of um, cars after cars lining up to cast their ballots safely from their cars. Did that have a strong impact on voter turnout? And if so, is that what Texas Republicans seem so afraid of? 
Well, I mean, in the first instance, let me just say that everybody agrees basically that the last election was was safe, secure, well run, and it elected a lot of Republicans to statewide office um, and gave them control of the legislature in Texas. So um, across the state, the 2020 elections were regarded as safe and secure. Um, in Harris County in particular, uh, Chris Hollins and now Isabel Longoria, who's the county clerk, did amazing things to increase access to the polls. And you know we're having a lot of conversation now about voter suppression, but the thing that we all want is more convenient, safe, reliable voting. And that's exactly what Harris County did last, last November. Um, and, you know, to be clear, this is not a partisan issue. Every, you know, whoever you were voting for, people liked to go to drive through voting um, because, you know, the height of the pandemic as we were last fall, that that was a really good option for a lot of different people. Um, and similarly with after hours voting so that, you know, if you got off work, you were able to go um, cast your ballot. So those things were very popular and are the kinds of things that we should be advocating for in Texas and across the country. The Republicans are claiming that this is just about election integrity. But how was election integrity in any way, um, you know, compromised simply because voters were in their cars rather than having to park and walk up or, you know, coming into a polling place after 8 p.m. in sort of before 8 p.m. It, it, there doesn't seem to be much backing to this idea that they're simply protecting election integrity. There's no evidence that they are protecting election integrity or, or that there was widespread voter fraud, which they've also claimed. I mean, I was up and I live in Houston, in Harris County, but I was up in Austin a lot this session and heard testimony from our Secretary of State, the staff there saying that this this past election was safe, secure. Um, you know, the Attorney General in Texas has tried his hardest to um, identify voter fraud. They've spent thousands of, of person hours, you know, millions of dollars on this task, and they just haven't come up with anything. So the problem in Texas is that it is the most difficult state in the country to vote in. Um, and that's the problem that lawmakers should be trying to solve instead of trying to make it even more difficult here in Texas um, to vote. The other very targeted attack on a very specific demographic is the SB7 provision to bar early voting before Sunday at 1 p.m. Sundays before 1 p.m. was apparently exactly the time where a popular years-long um, get-out-the-vote uh, provision helped older Black voters go and vote right after they got out of church. These might be voters who might ordinarily not have a ride uh, otherwise, or might simply not be able to make the time, but because they're with their community and the members of their community and their family and their congregation were able to go together to the polls. And it seems so specifically and narrowly tar micro-targeting this particular demographic, who are, of course, you know, surprise, surprise, reliably Democratic voters, which is why a lot of people viewed SB7 as an overtly partisan attack on voters of color, right? Absolutely. I mean, the tradition in the Black church of souls to the polls is a long one. And um, pushing back the start time of Sunday voting was just so cynical. 
Um, and I saw today a, a tweet or an interview, I think, with a Republican lawmaker who was on the conference committee who said, oh, it was an administrative error. It was supposed to be 11 a.m., but it got printed as 1 p.m. in the final legislation. And I think that points hmm. to <laughs> the, uh, you know, and whether or not that's true, I don't know. But it does certainly suggest that having um, the Republican, the Republicans in Texas control the both both chambers of the legislature and, and um, the all statewide offices. And they have run the process for this bill to subvert the rules at every step. And one of the things that they did was introduce, they they only circulated the official version of the final bill about an hour before the Senate took up the final vote on this bill. And it, you know, Representative Clardy's comments this afternoon really emphasized that maybe having more sunlight in the process, following the rules, letting everybody see what was in the bill before jamming it through or trying to jam it through at the last minute, that was, the, the Republicans really took a, a uh, took aim at the process in addition to the substance in this bill. And I think there are consequences for that. And then there were also stiff penalties written into SB7 for anybody driving two people or more who were not related to them to the polls. They, so in order to be able to legally do that, if SB7 had passed, uh, the driver of a vehicle uh, carrying more than two people unrelated to them would have had to fill out a form explaining. So, I mean, this just seems so overtly unconstitutional. It seems to violate, you know, people's right to assembly at the very least. Well, and just, you know, when I talked earlier about administrative barriers to voting, it's these kinds of things that, you know, just throw up barriers at every step of the process. And then the flip side of that is the intimidation aspect and adding 16 different criminal penalties to the election code. Um, and Texas is not the only state where um, where legislatures are considering these expanded criminal penalties in the election code. Iowa um, in January, I feel like Iowa has not gotten as much attention, but Iowa passed um, mm. stiff criminal penalties in their election code um, this session. So this is a theme that we're seeing across the country. And it applies, I think we're, we're used to hearing about you know, punishing voters. Um, but what you're describing is punishing the people who help voters who are entitled to help. If you are over 65, if you have a disability, you are entitled to assistance under the election code. But this just seeks to punish the people who might help you. Or if you are an election official and you under SB7 had it passed, if you had um, proactively shared applications with people uh, for vote by mail, people who are eligible to receive uh, a vote by mail application. Um, you could you could suffer criminal penalties just for sharing that information proactively with voters. So it's not just the voter, it's the people who help voters, it's the people who run our elections um, that the bill would have sought to, to criminalize and, and intimidate. And already Texas had pretty strict uh, laws, voter ID laws, for example, Right. I mean, I remember famously it was uh, Hillary Clinton who pointed out that you can take a, your gun ID to vote, but not a student ID to vote in the state of Texas. So it was already a place that made it hard. Absolutely. And the the challenge in Texas, as I said earlier, is that it is too difficult to vote. And that's the problem that our lawmakers should be solving. We do not have online voter registration, for example. Um, you cannot use your student ID to as as ID at the at the polls. So those are the kinds of things that we should be advocating for. You know, frankly, expanding um, voting hours and um, drive-through voting that were so popular instead of trying to take away those options. So yes, it it is a 
uh, it is a victory in, in Texas to have defeated this bill for now, but we still have a very difficult environment for voting here. Let's talk about how it was defeated, because in the states of Georgia and Florida, Republicans controlling those states did manage to push through their harsh anti-voting bills. I don't like to call them voter suppression bills. I simply like to call them anti-voting bills, because in my opinion, that's what they do. But in Texas, Democrats walked out on Sunday. Can you describe to me what exactly happened? I understand that they congregated at a local church in Austin instead. That's right. And if we go back, the Texas legislature runs for five months uh, from January to May every other year. And the deadline for passing bills out of the House was Sunday at midnight. And um, the if we wind back in the weekend, here we are, Memorial Day weekend, um, and the Senate took up the bill first on Saturday. And uh, there were, I think, seven or eight hours of debate. I was up all night watching the Senate debate, and the Senate eventually passed it at six in the morning on Sunday. And then a few hours later, the House took up the bill in the Again, they had until midnight on Sunday. Um, and the Democrats introduced points of order. They asked a lot of questions. There was this sense of kind of running out the clock. And then um, at about 1030, um, there are 67 Democrats in the House in Texas. A little more than 60 of them walked out, went to the church on the east side. And what that did was deny Republicans the quorum that they needed uh, in order to hold the vote. And so there, are, you, in Texas, there are 150 members of the House. You need 100 of them to be present in order to take a vote. And when Democrats walked out and went to that church, they, the, um, the House no longer had the required number of members to take a vote. And at that point, it was so late in the evening that they were not going to meet the deadline of midnight. And that's what killed the bill. And of course, because it was the end of the legislative session, it's done for now. However, uh, first of all, you had Governor Greg Abbott threaten to withhold uh, the pay paychecks of, of lawmakers, said that they had abandoned their duty. Uh, and, and now, of course, Republicans are saying, well, because they control the legislature, they're simply going to take up the bill or some version of it or new version of it in a special legislative session, which will uh, actually enable them to make it even harsher than it originally was. Was. So what's the danger there? Yes, I mean, we have no illusions that um, that Greg Abbott or Dan Patrick have changed their mind about this bill. And um, Dan Patrick you know, being they, the lieutenant governor. Yeah. The lieutenant governor, that's right. And, you know, they are hell-bent on passing this bill. And I think that means for adv advocacy organizations like ours that um, we cannot let our guard down. Um, there will be a special session we, we know in the fall sometime to deal with redistricting because of the delay in the census data. Um, and what Governor Abbott has, has signaled that he will do is to hold an additional special session or to put this in the same special session as redistricting. Um, and uh, so we will, we are, uh, you know, happy to have, have had the victory for democracy that happened over, over this past weekend, but, um, but the fight goes on. If they do get to do this in a special legislative session, if they either preserve provisions in SB 7 or rewrite it so that it's even harsher, I imagine that there will be some lawsuits coming out of this, right? I mean, some have pointed out that SB 7 very clearly violated the 1965 Voting Rights Act. Uh, well, you know, we will have to see what um, what is ultimately passed. Um, and we are certainly and our legal team is is watching very closely um, as you know, we will be keeping all of our options open as this debate unfolds and we'll 
um, you know, be preparing to use all the tools at our at our disposal. So it's not just Texas, as I mentioned, uh, Florida and Georgia have also already done, uh, you know, passed their versions of anti-voting bills. Other Republican-led states are doing the same. Uh, and then Congress is uh, considering the For the People Act, which Democrats have been trying to push. Um, first of all, would the For the People Act, if it were to become law, upend these anti-voting bills at the state level? And second of all, how likely is it to pass? Well, I think certainly there are provisions in, in HR1 and the For the People Act that, that really focus on protecting the constitutional right to vote. And those are really important, as are the provisions of HR4 and the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. Um, and you know, I think the what happened in Texas over Memorial Day weekend is a signal of how hard people are willing to fight for their constitutional right to vote. And that is the kind of courage that we need to see at the federal level. Um, at the same time, we, we can't assume that federal action will come quickly enough and we have to keep up the fight at the state level. So whether that's in Georgia or Florida, as you mentioned, but also states like Iowa or Montana or Ohio where their legislature is still meeting, um, the, we can't give up the fight at the state level. Um, one of the things we saw this session was a bill that ultimately did not pass that would seek to separate federal and uh, from federal elections from state elections. So there is still a very active threat at the state level, and it's why state-based organizations are so important as legislatures take up, take up these voter suppression or anti-voter bills um, around the country. Uh, voting rights groups um, such as the group Black Voters Matter have called SB7 and these other efforts in different states Jim Crow 2.0. There, uh, one person even pointed out that an earlier version of SB7 had the language that uh, the law was intended to protect the purity of the ballot, um, which is very much lifting the language of the uh, Jim Crow anti-voting uh, laws in the segregated South. Um, would you agree with this characterization? Absolutely. And I think we saw some very powerful testimony in exchange between Representative Anchia and the chair of the Elections Committee in Texas, Briscoe Kane, um, in which un uh, Representative Anchia really schooled Briscoe Kane in the racist history uh, that's even contained within the Texas Constitution and that language of purity of the ballot. Um, so, you know, I, I, really have appreciated the partnership that we've had with Black Voters Matter and the way that they have come um, immediately after the bill was passed in Georgia. They arrived here in Texas and um, there's been an amazing coalition of groups that have come together to fight back against this, um, this anti-voter bill and um, Black Voters Matter has been at the center of that. It, does it strike you that the Republicans are so vehemently um, backing these bills as a measure of their allegiance to Donald Trump, who, of course, very clearly uh, pushed the proven, provably false idea that the election 2020 was stolen? I mean, you know, they're they're claiming they want to protect election integrity. That can only be true if the 2020 election had problems, um, which is something that Trump maintains. And so it seems that their allegiance to Trump is very much at stake here as they push these anti-voting bills. Well, I think there's, a, you know, I, um, there's a lot of chaos within the Republican Party in Texas, and we're seeing that play out even 
um, even just today and the reactions, um, it's, it's Tuesday here in Texas now, but um, in the reactions to what happened over the weekend. Um, so, you know, I think we will see how this plays out. I think it was significant that in the course of the legislative session, we saw those really eye-popping fundraising numbers for Marjorie Taylor Greene. She raised more than $3 million in a quarter. Um, we saw Ted Cruz uh, write an op-ed breaking up with big business over there um, speaking out on things like voting rights. So I think there's a, there, you know, where does the Republican party land is a, is a really significant question. Um, and if there are those within the Republican party who, um, who can take a stand for our fundamental democratic principles. Um, and I think I, as I was looking at what was happening on Sunday night, that it was really, it was all, all, you know, capital D Democrats who had walked out of the legislature, but it really was, um, they are small D Democrats. They are people who believe in our democracy. And um, I remain, you know, I, if there are Republicans who, who believe in those principles, I think um, hopefully we will see them speak out as well. Sarah, where can people find out more about the work that ACLU of Texas is doing? ACLUTX.org. We'll Come join link. us. Visit we'll post us. post a link to that from our website as well. That's aclutx.org. Sarah, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. My guest has been Sarah Labowitz, Policy Director with the ACLU of Texas. We've been discussing the Republican anti-voting efforts in that state. I'm Sonali Kohatkar. We're online at risingupwithsonali.com, where you can sign up for our newsletter. Find our audio podcast on iTunes and Spotify.